Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On episode 22 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam and Scott are back and we're talking West Ham's win over Fulham at home, the near draw they had at Manchester City, and we preview the upcoming Newcastle United game and give our thoughts on if West Ham have a chance to take all three points. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We are here for episode 22. Uh, the OG crew is in. Myself, Adam, and Scott. Uh, Scott, it's been a minute since we've had you on here, just uh, with some work and life interruptions getting in the way as well, um, the whole living in Australia aspect of it. But happy to have you back and uh, kind of a mixed bag of emotions to come back to. How's it going? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. It's good to be back. And uh, now so life's not quite as in the way. Um yeah, like, I mean, yesterday's result, happy but unhappy. Uh, it's the life of a West Ham fan, that that fine fine line between the two emotions. So uh, I think it's in a good episode to come back in on. Yeah, exactly. Well, plenty of talking points, I think. Um, first and foremost, let's, uh, let's start back to the previous match uh, before City, and that was the Fulham win. Uh, Fulham came over to West Ham, uh, to East London and London Stadium, and things did not look great out of the gate. Uh, Pablo Zabaleta got the start, presumably to allow Fredericks extra rest for the City game and likely the Newcastle game. But uh, he was subbed at halftime after maybe his worst half of football since joining West Ham. Yeah, I'm, uh, so, I mean, like, that was a bad start uh, for us. I mean, I, I wrote uh, an article about how we shouldn't give Fulham hope. We should look to stifle the ball early on and just play around them and then they score after three minutes so that was I can imagine Pellegrini just sort of uh, as that goal goes in goes why on earth did I bother speaking before the game Uh, I don't really know what you have there because for the rest of the game we kind of I not necessarily outplayed them but we controlled the match Uh, so Zabaleta has I mean he's entitled to go off form occasionally he's he's getting older uh, he's been playing so well for us the entire season. Uh, for him, so for him to have his worst game for West Ham, it's probably not too bad in that regard. Uh, he's, he's set the bar quite high for himself. But um, yeah, Fredericks has come back in and he's looked very strong. Uh, his, since his injury, he seems to have uh, really worked on his game, uh, not just in the sort of technical sense of the word, but uh, he's got, He's got in the uh, tactical rooms, he's talked to coaches and he's worked out how we can improve off the ball and uh, he's done that well. I don't know if he's been working with Zabaleta because that side of his game has just come on so quickly. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's that's maybe the most important part about West Ham over the past two weeks that's not named Lanzini is basically Ryan Fredericks coming in and all of a sudden being completely caught up on how to play 
in the Premier League. It, it's it's pretty remarkable. But as you had said before, Pablo Zabaleta, uh, as as every player is inclined to do, was off form and, and currently is off form. Uh, I don't think he looked too great against his uh, former team, even though he was on his offside. But uh, it, it's 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 funny because you know how how short our memories are. Zabaleta was the guy def- uh, coaching and, and captaining our back line basically for the first three quarters of the season so far or played games so far and he goes off form and everyone tends to forget about him it's kind of sad but I think more than being harsh or critical on Zabaleta more people are being positive towards Fredericks which is obviously the future Uh, so I think there's a silver lining to all of this and that is that we appear to have a 25 or 6 year old starting right back who has unbelievable pace I mean sure he chased down uh, he chased down Alexander Mitrovic to turn the yep. ball over and force a block against Fulham, but he also was tasked with shutting down Leroy Sané against Manchester City and, and basically forced a 57-minute sub because the player couldn't do anything against him. So a lot of credit has to go out to him. But when we're looking at Fulham, the goal against was bad. Bad marking by Ogbonna, bad marking by Cresswell, bad pressure by Zabaleta. But West Ham didn't let it define the game. They didn't hang their heads. They basically said, all right, let's go. And the first goal to come back from was the hand of Hernandez, the almighty headed goal, question mark. Uh, it was basically a handball that counted, um, but uh, a little, a nice little bit of theatrics from, from Chicharito, wasn't it? Yeah, I feel like I'm very uh, sort of torn on this goal because I wrote, again, wrote an article about this. It's very much two camps. Uh, so you have your, like, do what you want, and if you get caught, it's your own fault. But then it's up to the referee to catch you, or you should be honest. And West Ham has always kind of been a bit more towards the honest side of things. Like we've had, um, like the Canio when he caught the ball against Everton. We've had Bobby Moore who um, actually not, but pretty much knocked the referee out once by mistake, <laughs> by heading the ball into him, uh, and this kind of thing. And he did everything he could to stop the game. Um, there's a sense of, I think there should be a sense of right around the sport because I otherwise we have to have like people complaining about VAR coming in and all this a part of it is because people don't like being honest uh, because they're paid too much to not be I mean I don't know how what Chitrita's goal bonus is but I'm saying here he should be honest but if I was getting an extra what 15k for scoring a goal Oof, I'd be throwing I'd everything probably, at it yeah as I say I probably wouldn't be honest so it's a case of yeah, in Sunday league down the park, I probably like put my hand up and go. Sorry, I caught it with my hand. Um, let's uh, let's carry on. But um, yeah, but the difference is, you said it uh, in passing. But then was West Ham didn't let the goal define the game. Uh, the first goal, Fulham let that goal define their season. They went, this isn't going with us. It's happening again. The decision's gone against us. We're level. We put in good work, and we're we still haven't got anything to show for it. And their heads dropped. They until half time, they really went down. We got corner after corner. Diop's goal came from it, and we looked far better side. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure whether that was entirely due to us, or just a lack of belief from Fulham. I I. I don't know what it is, and they Fulham has just today, as we're recording this, sacked Claudio Ranieri um, mm. after 13 games after uh, sacking their manager. Uh, I, I'm not going to try to say his name just because I uh, I will say, say it incorrectly. 
but uh, who got them up from promotion. So that club seems to be an absolute mess. Um, they were carried last season, it would appear, on the back of performances uh, from their players, and their management group seems to be uh, messing around and meddling too much with it. They brought in, I think, too many players from last season, uh, turning over from last season. There's no chemistry. No one seems to be caring there, and and West Ham sort of took advantage of that. And it's almost like when I played, I played uh, hockey growing up, and I always felt so much more settled if I let in a goal, not because whatever it doesn't matter, but because I knew likely it was going to happen. So uh, once that pressure's off, like West Ham kind of knew, like okay, we're going to get scored on, but once that pressure's off, they can play themselves. It's a loser's mentality, and it needs to stop. But they, I don't know, they just basically played completely different it was like a, a a switch flipped in their heads and it was good to see uh the second goal you mentioned was Issa Diop's header his first uh, Premier League goal after he did score in the League Cup earlier in the season against Wimbledon uh Diop sort of establishing himself as one of the standout players breakout players in the Premier League this season do you see him being poached uh by top clubs whether it be this summer or in the future uh potentially in the future again uh it's a case of uh, looking at who could be interested and there's obviously the French sides that would be uh, interested to pick him up top Premier League sides I don't think it'll be this summer uh, I think the fight we have is to improve quick enough to remain interesting to these players to like Anderson to Diop uh, we have to be closing in on the um, on European or at least challenging have to be trying to get up and around that consistently mm -hmm. otherwise they will go well i can i can go to these bigger sides even if they're not in the in premier league they've got no real attachment staying in the uk they can go off to spain they could go off to italy if off to france um or, or germany uh, where there's a lot of premier league players seem to be thriving or english players specifically seem to be thriving at the moment i think we we will have a challenge to keep them unless we improve. Uh, so yeah, I could see definitely see Diop going to a big club uh, in a couple of years. Uh, he's still very young at the moment, so they may want to sort of keep him. Uh, maybe just keep watch, uh, try and make a, uh, let us develop him as such. Yeah, um, act as this sort of loan club without even owning him yet. Yeah, so paying that extra ten million or such is probably uh, in terms of like an extra year's development is probably more worth it to a big club than buying him for well he'd go for 20 plus million already and then if he doesn't develop into the way they want that's a huge alley mm -hmm. uh so to have that pay that extra 10 million when we they do buy him uh, or just pay the transfer fee when they are pretty sure that he's going to be good enough for them is is easy for them yeah, I, and and it's interesting to sort of sort of view it as a race, like you said. Like if West Ham can start pressing for European football, then it's going to become an attractive place for players to come, like Issa Diop, who was sort of plucked from obscurity. I mean, he had under twenty three and under twenty one levels of of success with uh, France, but uh, the France team is so deep, uh, the French team is so deep rather that that you know people like Martial don't even get opportunities. So. Uh, it's kind of interesting to, to view it as a race between West Ham getting into the main uh, the main European competitions versus other teams coming in to buy players that want to take that next progressive step. If West Ham can do the step for them, you sort of eliminate the middleman. Um, the third goal in this match, uh, 
I mean, it wasn't really the most pretty goal. It wasn't the most skill-testing goal. It sort of looked like the keeper lost his footing when he tried to dive to save Antonio's header, but it was an Antonio header, which was a justified goal from his performance uh, in that match that he's put in recently, and it was uh, off the boot of Arnautovic, who came on uh, as a sub yet again. So um, moving forward, Chicharito's been playing well. He was dropped for Andy Carroll uh, in the, the Man City game. Do you see Arnautovic, if he's not sick anymore, coming back to start that Newcastle game? And, and what did you make of his uh, his sub-appearance and the impact he had against Fulham? Uh, what I liked about his game against Fulham was, like with the Antonio assist, he wasn't... Uh, he actually did twice in a row there. He wasn't going for goal. Um, he actually had his head up. He was looking to play for the team. Uh, we've seen uh, Arnautovic in a mood before where he's just been like, I can't be bothered to play here. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when he feels he's been slighted or something like this. And he would just go for goal. Uh, the angle will be against him and he'll go for it. Sometimes I enjoy that in a striker. Uh, but he was making the sensible plays. He set up Lanzini just before that. Uh, and the Fulham defender got a very good block in. And then he, when he got the ball back, he didn't think, oh, I've done my bit of setting people up. I can try and make my own chance here. He jinked about on the ball, got himself a yard of space and picked out Antonio. Uh, so, and then when, as soon as that goal went in, he turned to, turned to the fans and celebrated. So I, th- I think if he doesn't have a virus, if he's over it sufficiently, if Pellegrini deems him fit enough, he'll be in the side. Uh, I mean... You just look at the City performance and you um, you know Pellegrini's not picking Chicharito for that because... This, you know it's going to be physical. Well, it's going to be physical and we're, we're relying on him to be on his own. Chicharito so, can't do that. Carroll can barely do that anymore too. Well, this is... I mean, like... Uh, yeah. It, Let's Carole, jump right into the, the Man City yeah. match here. The team selection was odd. Let's start from the front out. Andy Carroll <laughs> gets the start. As we had mentioned, Arnautovic has a virus. Chicharito dropped for strategic purposes, um, but there was no other striker on the bench to even provide a different look to the team. It was just Andy Carroll and Javier Hernandez, the two polar opposites of strikers. Well, yeah, this is the issue is that we currently don't, without Arnautovic, we have, I, I mean, Arnautovic can play the same way Chicharito does. He can play the same kind of game that Carroll does, or he can play his own game. Uh, Hernandez and Carroll were so far either ends. They're like, um, if, if anyone likes playing uh, video games, it's like you spent your, all your points in one section, and that's what they do. Um, Hernandez is in the box, fine, great. Carroll, to the same extent, is only effective when he's within 30 yards of the goal. Put him in the middle of the pitch, and he takes forever to get into another position. Uh, he's good at heading the ball on, but to who? Um, yeah, again, that, that was if, evident. If we've, if we somehow set up that we are just crossing the ball into the box time and time again, Carroll's going to do it. Like, Carroll's great. He's good in the air, but then so is Arnautovic. I wouldn't take Arnautovic off to put Carroll on in that situation. Um, in the same stroke, we saw with Chicharito against Fulham when those balls come through the air and you sort of you know, have scramble play in the box. No one's better than I, Chicharito of uh, getting open. I agree. I think that if you have, again, if you're having a game where you are playing into the box with regularity he's a great player and I do quite enjoy the idea of someone like Chicharito playing with Arnautovic or whether I mean I know Pellegrini wants to go more with a um, like a Lanzini or a Nasri with Arnautovic uh, but Hernandez feeds off those kind of scraps he's so 
he's not necessarily quick in the sort of straight line speed, but he's so agile. He does get into the right positions so much, uh, and he he scores some strange goals. He tends to lose it, loses defenders and his markers just yeah. by being, like you said, like being sort of not. I don't, don't want to say irregular, but he's he's not the conventional striker in the sense that he's going to go right for the goal, set up at the back post. He sort of overlaps, disguises himself, slowly drifts away. You see a lot of veteran strikers. Glenn Murray, for being a big guy, is terrific at it. Uh, they just yeah. sort of wade into wade into some viable spaces and end up, you know, making a career out of it. So, yeah, it, it's interesting to see. Um, as far as as far as far um, team selection goes, there was a few players out with injury. Apparently, our entire left-back uh, situation, which was two players uh, in, in Mazuaku and Cresswell, were both out. Um, we get to see Academy graduate Ben Johnson, who gets uh, a baptism by fire, coming to the Etihad to play Man City. How do you think he did in his first Premier League start? I think he did really well um i mean i know we will i will preface it with the fact that mares had an absolute stinker of a oh. game because he, he seemed to be really trying overly hard to to impress like he knows that he doesn't have too many chances uh how many times did he get caught offside just because he wasn't even looking he was just yeah oh. i again I, I i shout at my wingers when i play sunday league if they're offside because you don't there's no excuse you should be able to see all the way along the line and go, okay, I can tell who's playing me on and who's playing me off. But he just didn't seem to have that concentration. He didn't seem to have that ability to wait his time. Uh, and then there were a couple of dud touches. But Ben, ben Dredson wasn't flustered. There were times where he could have gone diving in, and he stood up and forced Mares to make a decision, and he got it wrong. So, uh, yeah, I... I'm not surprised that he had to come off with some calf soreness towards the end because he's probably never like, a game that intense. Yeah, that, that's huge. Yeah, that's and, huge for- and something I think uh, that, that Man City deserves a lot of credit for, and one player specifically, is Kevin De Bruyne. He was awesome at okay, looking at that back line. Nobody was going to predict that Ben Johnson was going to be starting. And Kevin De Bruyne looked at that back line, picked him out, and said, I'm coming at you the entire match. So mm. every time he could... When Mares would pull Johnson wide, he would cut on the inside and overlap behind him. And then every time uh, Riyad Mares was stepping in, all of a sudden De Bruyne is abandoned his midfield position. And he looks like a right forward. He was picking on him the entire match. And one thing that was apparent was Declan Rice constantly pointing, yelling, and directing Ben Johnson where to go. Everyone else could be, you know, completely, you know, ignorant that Johnson was even playing for West Ham. But Declan was on him, basically directing him the entire time. And without Mark Noble there, you need that big voice in the midfield. But I agree with what you said. Johnson didn't look out of place. I think if you put him up against a less elite team, he looks even more settled. Uh, he's just a kid. No need to rush him up. But it's nice to know that we have cover coming from the academy in uh, in the fullback position. And according to the West Ham Way podcast, he's uh, he's dual footed, so he he can play on both sides. Yeah, uh, I have to say, I mean, for if you when I saw that lineup, I was horrified. Um, and again. The same way that De Bruyne did, I would have done it. I mean, if, if Mares had had, better, had a better game, we might be sitting here talking about a, a three-four and a loss. But the entire back line managed to stifle uh, their wing. Their, the wing play, although they score a lot of goals from the box, they get in through the wings. They they drag your um, fullbacks wise and wide and cut in the gaps that they create. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, we did really well. And it's the closest we've ever got to a Guardiola Man City. Uh, I know he still has a 100% record over us. Uh, but losing 1-0 rather than 5-0 is a huge, huge benefit to us because it, we just take that confidence. We take that away and we go, we did really well. And if not for what was at best a dubious penalty call, uh, oh. we come away with it. We come away with the draw. You and I have both been talking to the fellow fansiders at Man City Square and um, there tends to be a differing of opinions on whether that was a penalty or not, as you could probably assume. So... Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about it. I, I I don't think it was necessarily a quote-unquote dive by Silva, but he felt some sort of contact and decided that was his opportunity. And I cannot believe, I watching it back because I watched it multiple times, I cannot believe that was given as a pen with no hesitation. There was no thought put into it. There was no checking with his assistance. That was basically, you know, I don't. I don't want to, you know, conspiracy theorize it, but it's a call that you see the top six teams get a lot of times because the uh, the middle table or the bottom table teams have to get physical against the skilled players, and you just see that sort of inevitable uh, inevitable reaction come. So it, it was disappointing to say the least. Anderson pulled out of the tackle. Actually, if you watch it back, he was going to go in, stopped, and put his hand up. In the one hand, he he sort of guided Silva, even if that it looked like it was fingertips. It's just so heartbreaking that a team. That had that much possession of the ball, those that many early chances, result resorts to that sort of tactic to get a goal. It, it, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's embarrassing for that team. I don't know what your read on it is. Um, no, I, I mean, for me, I think it's it's a weird one because I I think both the referee and Bernardo Silva are expecting contact. Uh, they they go into the box, and at this point, everyone is now on high alert for contact Anderson does himself no favors by coming in the way he does I don't think it's a foul um, I think it's it's a contact sport and is, there's certainly not enough in it to make him fall over uh, I, I don't know whether it's a, a dive under the laws of the game anymore because they seem to be so inconsistent I'm going to treat for this one I'm going to treat a dive as there's no like there's no Zero contact. Uh, zero contact, and he's gone over intending to con the referee. For this one, I think he's what he's been waiting for is contact in his back, like uh, in the back half of his body. <laughs> Careful. And he's gone <laughs> over easily. Yeah, he's gone over easily, and um, the referee has also been expecting that. And because Anderson is so quick, he's probably got there. He tripped over his feet a little bit, like sort of stumbled right where he wants to be. Yeah, I don't think it's a foul. I don't think it's a dive. As such, I don't think like I don't think Bernardo Silva should be punished for it because here's my we question. see far worse. Yeah. Here's my question: If that same contact happens in the midfield and Bernardo Silva's looking to to play the ball down down the sideline, does he drop? Uh, potentially, uh, it's, but I don't. He probably doesn't. And this is the thing: is that it depends what your definition of it is, because it needs to be sorted out. Yeah, because especially with VAR by the, same, by, the, by the same action, that's never a foul in the midfield. Never in a million years. You see far harder contact than that, not given as a foul. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as it gets into the penalty area, everyone seems to get this high and mighty thing of like you can't touch them. And it's like, well, he wasn't getting a shot away. It's not like he was uh, pulling the trigger as Anderson uh, bumps into him. 
so I don't think it should be given any extra sort of um, reverence for being that close to the goal. For context, do you think that, you know, I know we all saw the the created chance that Lanzini made uh, for Andy Carroll, who actually did a great job of getting a leg on it. But uh, on that chance, Lanzini sort of stuck with the play rather than dropping to the to his to his knees or to his back in the box to try and make that yeah. play. Uh, I think Lanzini took more contact on that play without there being any touch on the ball from the defender. Well, uh, but there's yeah. no penalty given because yeah. he didn't cry for one. Well, this is the issue is that if you are like for, for me, Bernardo Silva was waiting for contact and then going down, which I think is different to diving. Uh, it's a very fine line, uh, but diving is like instigating the contact or simply no contact and going down. So like what you see Jamie Vardy do it, where he flings his legs out towards the defender, takes the head defender's hit and goes down. Yeah, and it's like that's a dive for me because he has purposefully instigated the contact. Yeah. Bernardo Silva. He's just running with the ball, and someone runs into it, like runs into his back, and he goes over. But like you said, he was Lanzini anticipating gets, contact. Yeah, it's such a fine Rather line. Sorry, continue, continue. Yeah, but that's the thing is, it is a real fine line there, and that that needs to be sorted out because, as you say, Lanzini cuts back inside. I think it was inside Ot- Otamendi, and Otamendi does catch him. Uh, but because Lanzini's not expecting it, it's really hard to go over. Your when natural you're reaction is to sort of catch yourself. Unless that contact is enough. It is. I mean, everyone's done it. And everyone who's seen Sunday League knows how stupid people look when they, they uh, fake contact, uh, fake uh, like significant contact, because your foot actually catches you, and then you go down. And it's like, well, no, no, you could have stand up like Lanzini did there. He's gone, I'm going to cut inside and have a shot. And no part is his head gone, I'm going to cut inside, and as soon as I feel that, I'm going to get the contact and fall over. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're absolutely there right. has to be, there has to be some kind of because I think that, yeah, certain players would get that. I mean, for example, I, I have no doubt that if Mo Salah had uh, got that kind of contact in the box, he'd have been over. Oh no, no doubt about so, it. This is the thing. So I think we we have to. Uh, I don't know how you do it. Um, if there's not a reward for honest play, you're not going to get any. No, I, and that's exactly it. And I think the reward may come from there being sort of a punishment or a yellow card, given whether it's retroactively or not, when VAR is in the Prem next season. Uh, if they start looking at all these penalty calls and find out that there's simulation happening, there will be yellow cards given out. Almost every game there'll be one until it stops. And we saw it in the World Cup. In the earlier rounds, there was a lot more people crying out for penalties or for fouls. And VAR comes in, eliminates that, and we slowly saw that whittle down as the as the game continued on. Um, just getting back to the, the the actual match at hand here for West Ham and Man City. Do you think West Ham feel robbed of a point based on how well they defended against that City attack? Well, yeah, it's a tough one because I like we had one chance of real note with the uh, Lansing to Carroll thing we just mentioned, but I certainly didn't see us scoring so. Mate, with that, especially without Arnautovic, I, I feel it's really harsh because the players will go away thinking they've deserved something, and despite the fact that it was a closer scoreline, it's still no points. Um, I, I feel, yeah, I think some of those more resilient or in the squad will probably feel it's a point dropped. Others will just sort of go, "I right, was City, we'll move on." 
uh, and sort of go uh, look look to the next one, take the good performance. I hope people don't get too down about it because it was I thought it was a really solid defensive performance. I mean, again, we, we can't complain about not attacking City because every time we've tried to sort of play in a in a style that will try and score outscore City. It's just they're going to carve us apart. That man for man, there's. I don't think there's many teams in the world that match up to Man City, uh, especially their depth in like strength in depth. It's it's crazy how much they can bring off the bench at, at any given point, even with the injuries and suspensions they have at the moment. Yeah, I I, I can't I can't agree more. Uh, I, I don't really know where to move on from in this in assessing this match. It seems like we all sort of expected something, and West Ham ended up surprising us with, you know, they, they gave up possession, but um, they, they played their system well. Uh, I guess we can finish with talking about West Ham's best performer in that match, and that's undoubtedly Ryan Fredericks. Uh, again, he, he looked... Uh, after he came on in the second half against Fulham and looked great there, he followed that up. And I don't think a lot of people had him pegged for having such a terrific game against Man City, but he shot out Leroy Sané and Buster may really have a player here with him. Yeah, I think uh, we really, the positives to take from it are if we play anything like that against Newcastle, we should be absolutely fine. Uh, Fredericks for me has been absolute revelation since his injury. I'm really excited to have two competitive right backs now because I love I love Zabaleta in terms of the old um, old guard kind of defender and Fredericks as the more modern or used to, what Zabaleta used to be getting forward uh, in behind the defence but still making it back. Uh, I mean his fitness levels will be tested, but he's he's young and he will if he continues on this path. He'll be a good defender, and that's what potentially we've missed before. Like with Masawaki, we brought him in for his attacking play, and it's like, well, he's a left back. Uh, great, that should be a bonus, not the first thing you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, your fullback should be defenders first, and then if they have the extra thing going forward, that's when they have that. That's when they have that X factor. Exactly, but that shouldn't. You shouldn't. There's no X factor unless you have the defensive side. Masaraki, for example, doesn't have that defensive side. Yeah, exactly. And I think what, what Fredericks has been able to do is basically go to school every week with Zabaleta and learn how to, to balance those two things out and learn how to be a defender first. With how he was tackling Sané, getting the ball, but also putting some putting some meat on him, like basically bringing him down. I think, I think he brought him down three times in the first half with legal clean tackles. So. That's what you want to do. Have that edge. Have players second guess going in to take you on one on one because you're going to make them pay. And also respect your offensive ability to the point where if they are a little bit too lax on the ball, you can take it, pick it up, go down the field, and basically, you know, put a laser in the top corner like you did against Macclesfield or overlap with your wingers. It's uh, it's it's pretty exciting to see him coming into form. And you know what, Kieran Trippier is England's real only option at right back. We saw him play there. Uh, throughout the World Cup, he <laughs> scored on his own oh, goal. Kyle Walker as well. Kyle, Kyle Walker, Walker, but with with uh, Southgate, he tends to play him as a center back in a three center back system. So who knows? But uh, Aaron Wambasaka is also another option. But yeah, uh, I, I, it's good. Yeah, he's like he's him. he's absolutely fantastic. But Fredericks is basically he has he has an opportunity there with 
you know, the old guard being used in different ways and the new guard uh, with Aaron Wambasaka leading the way coming up, there's an opportunity there for Fredericks to get some love. So you never know. Um, let's move past oh. the Man City game. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to beat. Sorry. Sorry. Before I do, I, I hear you saying something. Yeah, no, I was going to say, well, I mean, Trippier's had a pretty abject season by his standards, and that own goal against Chelsea uh, the weekend isn't going to do him any favours confidence-wise or standings-wise. So I think, uh, again, I think Wan-Bissaka is one of those players, I think, uh, again, he's a defender first, but he has that ability going forward. So Frederick should be sort of comparing himself to that and setting that kind of standard. Uh, So, yeah, I hope he can continue. Couldn't agree with you more. And as we continue to move on here, we can talk about another England battle uh, as Newcastle fans are somehow uh, lining it up to be. But that is uh, between West Ham and Newcastle and the young English defensive midfielders Declan Rice and Longstaff. I don't know why Newcastle fans are so excited after seven games of this guy playing like a Premier League player. But um, to me, there's no one that touches Declan Rice for quality as a defensive midfielder in England that isn't already inside the English team. I'm yeah, I, I'm I was struggling to sort of pick up this comparison. I understand excitement of a young player, and uh, it's natural to have that kind of oh yeah, br- brand new player. He's young. He's one of ours. He's grown up around the area. Wonderful. He plays in a uh, potentially a significantly different position. Mm-hmm. He plays further forward than Rice. Um, so Newcastle have, after seven games, they've decided that he's the one that's going to like he's going to keep Rice out of the England team. And so, well, one, it doesn't work like just because they both play midfield, they have entirely different roles. I mean, if you're if you're trying to say he's better than Rice, that means you're trying to compare him to Rice's position. Rice has more tackles, fewer fouls. Better more passing. interceptions, more clearances, more passes, better passing uh, completion rate. Longstaff has got two goals in his eight, or well, I think he's made like 11 first-team appearances, seven or eight of them in the Premier League now. Good. Uh, I really wish him luck. I really do. But the, the quality of player we're talking about here is very different. Declan Rice has made over 50 appearances for the first team already. Uh, he's He's been almost ever-present this season. Uh, he's had other managers talking about him like uh, like he's the next big thing. When Pellegrini turns around and goes, he's the best young talent I've ever worked with. It's a huge deal. I don't know. I just I feel like Newcastle fans have latched onto a young player and gone, he's better than what we've had before. How oh, he's going to be the best player ever? And it's like, well, and uh, listen, there was a Talksport. Uh, excerpt that went around there was a Newcastle fan on there saying oh he's, he's miles better than um uh Andy Carroll was at his age so he's going to be great and like, well Andy what Carroll isn't getting in our team <laughs> at the moment like if it wasn't for injury Andy Carroll wouldn't be in our team no we're comparing him to Frank Lampard to Michael Carrick to Rio Ferdinand they are a completely different class of player to Andy Carroll uh I just I, I'm, I'm really not trying to put long stuff down because I think he's done a wonderful job. He's come in, John Joe Selby's been injured, and he's been asked to play a sort of a semi, like almost more of a quarterback role than um, Rice. Rice is like a is a ball winner. He he kind of plays that halfback, sitting in front of the defence, and just kills the space, kills any creativity for the number ten and that kind of thing. But 
Longstaff plays a little bit further forward, connects the play up, and he does that well. Like, I really think he's a, he could be a very good player. But to, I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It's like if uh, we had, it's like us now compa- like pairing, if Ben Johnson has a run of games because of injury to the other two, and he, he does well, why, why he's not suddenly like the same level as like, Ashley Carl was or anything like this. You have to, you have to be really, like, you have to keep things in perspective. You can't suddenly jump things up to the nth degree. Longstaff will have a good career, I'm sure about it. But right now, Declan Rice has proven his consistency. And just Longstaff sort of, done it. Uh, just to yeah. sort of contextualize it a little bit here, and, and this is specifically talking about positioning as you were, who objectively is the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League? I th- if I was picking a defensive midfielder, I'd probably pick Fernandinho. That's my answer exactly. And guess how many goals Fernandinho has this season? He's probably got none. He's got one goal. Same as Declan Rice. Like you said about the defenders and and defensive players like Ryan Fredericks at right back, when you're a defender and you're in a defensive position like Rice is, defense has to be your number one priority. Anything you can chip in offensively is just the X factor or the gravy on top. These two players don't play the same position. Like, come on. Wake up, people. Sorry, I will amend my answer. The best defensive midfielder in the Premier League is Kante. But he's currently not playing in defensive midfield. Oh, no, he's a right because, midfielder. Yeah. Just, what a waste. <laughs> because for some reason, Jorginho has to pass the ball sideways 200 times a match. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, what's going on at Chelsea is crazy. But you can't you can't play Kante out of position. Uh, you either, effectively, if you don't play Kante in defensive midfield, you may as well sell him. Yeah, because, what's the point of having him? Uh, the amount of times you've seen Kante get in the penalty box this season, and it's just a complete waste because... He's not that kind of player. And he, he looks so amused every time the ball falls to him because he's like, I haven't had never had this many shots in my career and he's having them all in one one season. But yeah, I mean, that as an aside, I think is an absolute waste of a player. Uh, but he is my choice as number one, but currently playing in defense midfield, Fernandinho, for sure. So let's look ahead at this Newcastle game. Newcastle's doing all right. They're sort of uh, an up-and-down team this season. They started poor. They picked up in the middle, dropped off again, and now they seem to be back on form again. They're coming off uh, two consecutive wins, and they look to be uh, like a team that's going to perennially stay in the Premier League after being promoted two seasons ago. I don't want to give anything away, but do you think, uh, as far as predictions go, that is, uh, but do you think West Ham can stack up and and win this game with relative ease, or do you think it's going to be a little bit more pressuring? Both sides have been up and down, as you said. I think we've really it really depends on which which versions of these teams turn up. Newcastle have got a very good manager. I think he's um I think Benitez done wonders given the fact he was just not allowed to spend anything. They've got Almiron coming now, Rondon seems to have found his sort of effective niche. And they're doing well. Um I think Man for man, we probably have a better side. Um, so if we both play well, I would expect us to come out on top. Uh, I don't know who's going to be returning for the weekend. I'd like to probably see Noble back instead of Obiang, for example. Um, but And obviously Arnautovic in for Carroll. If we have a nearly full strength side, we should be a better side. Uh, we're at home. We should try and take it to them. Uh, but it will be tough. Oh, that that being said, Newcastle of sort of mid-season could turn up, and we have a really quite simple match. 
it's uh, it's very hard to pick right now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm confident that West Ham will get a result and get a win in this game, but uh, I I'm curious about how the the new guy Elmeron is going to do in, in the he's been doing well so far. So how he does away at West Ham will be interesting. Iosi Perez is a coin flip whether he's going to be effective or like last time we played he had a, a bucket full of chances but he couldn't put anything on net. Uh, and as you mentioned, Rondon sort of etched out his perfect role. The only thing I would say is West Ham's center backs Ogbonna looks like he may get a rest in this one with Balbuena back, but who knows? And Diop, all three of them really do well at marking tall, big players. Uh, we've seen them eliminate uh, Mitrovic. We've seen them eliminate Rondon before. So you never know exactly what you're going to get out of that group of players. Um, I'm, I'm confident, though. I, I do feel like there's sort of uh, a silver lining here. And what's really good i guess or what's really motivating is that west ham want these points to get to europe that's something all these players want to do uh newcastle while they're trying to avoid the relegation zone there's two teams that are definitely there the third spot's still up for grabs and newcastle is very much a part of that um they're playing fear-based football and west ham are playing that sort of hungry predator style football trying to win those points and, and knowing that they're better than teams as long as there's no overlooking which i don't think there will be it should be good uh, if you're picking this team, what formation are you playing? Are you going double strikers? Are you trying to get uh, some attacking midfielders back in the mix? How how do you pick this team for West Ham? And do you maybe we'll start here? Do you try to string out uh, uh, Ben Johnson for another start? Just uh, as a news update, I think Aaron Cresswell broke his toe in training, so yeah. that could be long term. Yeah, I mean broken toe really depends on. Like, it sounds stupid, but the severity of the break because toes break far easier than people realize uh, so he could be back fairly soon mm-hmm. uh, or he could be out for a month or so so i mean if masawaku or oh, to be honest i i already prefer ben johnson um so <laughs> to masawaku as a left back uh so i would pick ben johnson going forward and and if balbuena comes back in i i will feel so much more confident about dealing with this newcastle side because when he was inside, we didn't really concede from set plays. I know someone will probably drag up the couple of times we did. But when we really sort of settled as a defensive line, I know Ogbon has grown into it. He's, he's performed much better than he did when he first came back into the side. But Balbuena really just, he runs that the back line so, so efficiently. He, everyone knows what they're doing at all points. There's none of this indecision. Uh, there's no... This player might not be mine. I'm not sure. Do I pick him up or this kind of thing? I really, I think he adds so much to the back line, not just in his ability I, and also his ability. His ability is miles above uh, Ogbonna, especially on the ball. I think we look a lot more commanding when we have him in. Yeah, he's not afraid to step up and, and sort of uh, take charge, start yelling at everybody. And I think Fabianski's already a great quarterback when it comes to that. Now you have Declan Rice stepping up and, and shouting about. If you see Mark Noble in there, that's even more leadership. So you have a lot of voices, and that's good because you know a team that lacks direction is going to go nowhere. So uh, it's really good to sort of see that, and especially like you had said, this all this all spurred on from Ben Johnson being possibly a starter. If you see Ben Johnson in there again, if he can take out thinking in his game, which sounds silly, but he's a talented youngster, obviously. If he can take out thinking and overthinking and just follow directions, that's going to do wonders for him sort of developing that natural flow to a game and, you know, getting getting in and learning how to grow his intuition just by listening to what the other players are saying. Um, 
I would like to see Johnson too, and I think Fredericks on the other side would be a, a terrific, a terrific uh, one-two punch on the fullbacks. Um, midfield, I think you and I both agree. Rice and Noble is our per is our preferred two. Are you playing two sort of holding midfielders like that? Yeah, I think uh, I'd stick with the like, the four-two-three-one kind of thing. Um, I don't, I don't see much reason to change it, and I'd rather have yeah that that two holding uh, with the ability of Noble maybe pushing a little bit further forward. Uh, if we are in control of the game. And so you're playing 4-2-3-1. I think that if if West Ham don't have Noble available, whether he's – I know he, he he had a hernia a couple seasons ago, or, and, uh, you know, maybe he, he's getting a little bit older, so things wear as his age goes and the season goes. So if he's not available to start, I kind of would like to see how West Ham would play in sort of a uh, 4-1 – 3-2 if you will or a 4-4-2 even with Lanzini getting the ball for that link up play beside Rice but really on top of Rice and seeing Chicharito continuously rewarded for him being a solid uh, option at striker but also getting Arnautovic our best striker into the game with our predictable wide players Antonio should his shoulder be okay and and Anderson but uh, who who's your three across the middle for that uh, attacking midfield winger line uh, well Anderson on the left uh I'm not sure whether. Well, it depends if because um, they, they seem to be having like a job share at the moment between uh, Lanzini and Nasri. So either one of those, I think, plays very well in a uh, number ten position. Yeah. Uh, I would. Uh, Antonio's been on decent form. I wonder how he's feeling after sort of two games where we've asked him to do a lot of running. I'd like to see more Diangana. I don't know really where he's gone. Um, he seems to have been out of the team for a little bit. I'd like to see him have the ability to uh, pin back the fullback as well, their left yeah. back. And Robert Snodgrass tends to be the odd man out when it comes to this, but um, he can always fill in in a number 10 spot, a right-sided attacking spot, and he did play earlier this season as a left-sided attacker. Uh, and it's always good, even later in the game, when when the tactics sort of go out the window and everyone's a little bit more tired for him to come on and, and be as precise as he is with his set pieces. That could be, you know, the turning point for West Ham should this game be close. Um, Scott, we're, we're just about done here. Um, in a word, how would you say you are feeling ahead of this Newcastle game? Mm, hopeful. Um, yeah. Hopeful is probably the best one because I think it's a good, a good start of, potentially showing we can continue uh well we performed against a big team and we keep doing this like great performance and then throw it away in the next one so i'm hopeful we can carry on yeah i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with confident i i think that this team's motivated the injuries are sort of like a, a transfer boost in and of themselves Balbuena is not being rushed back into the team. Everything seems to be clicking and going the right pace. So I'm 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 confident of getting a result here. Uh, that'll do it for us here at the Green Street Hammers podcast. Any final parting thoughts there, Scott? No, I'm good. I think we've covered a lot in this one. Yeah, it's it's been a good one. I'm happy to be back with you here. Happy to have you along. And uh, you know, come on, you Irons. Let's go West Ham. And uh, until next week.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.